0: Welcome to this session on the future of the office. I hope you're in the right place. I'm Damien Wilde, And surely there isn't a topic in real estate today that elicits stronger opinions. In the last couple of years, the office has been read its last rights, only to recover somewhat. A clean bill of health may be some way off, though. A completely clean bill of health may be some way off. Um, Several CEOs and some government ministers have sought to insist that it goes back to its former full-on lifestyle. Most employees are taking their time gradually re-acclimatising, yet in recent weeks, I don't know if you've noticed it. we'll discuss that in a minute, something seems to have changed. In London, at least, it's notably busier, other cities too, perhaps. There's standing room only on tubes, restaurants are booked out. And last week, I tried to get into a lift in our, um, in our own office, and I couldn't because it was full, I'd forgotten what that was like, but, um, but that was probably a positive thing. Um, but the, these are early days, aren't they, in, in terms of um, the office's recovery. And I think the only thing we can say with absolute certainty is that absolute certainty should be treated with a de- healthy degree of skepticism, unless you're on our panel today, of course, um, where absolute certainty will be the, the order of the day. It's a carefully assemb- assembled group who've diagnosed the condition of the office and they're ready to share their prescriptions. On, right on the other side of me, right over there, is James Lowry, CEO uh, for UK and Europe at And uh, Next to him is Melanie Williams, head of global real estate at DWF. In the centre, just about, is Stephanie Crombie, head of sustainability at Morrow and Lorraine. Bradley Baker is chief executive of CORE. And next to me is Neil Gesamer. Sorry, I've done that wrong, haven't I? Gemasma. Gemasma. Sorry, I even practiced that this morning. Vice president uh, international at Yardi. So, I'll ask you quickly, and then we'll ask some questions of the audience, shall we, about what's, what's occupancy like in your own office or your tenant offices as well, and how prescriptive are you being? Neil? So, on a global basis for us, we've got about 8,000 employees.
1: Um, we're at about 15 to 20% at any point in time. And so, we don't have a policy right now to say you need to be back in the office. And we have, so we're a global software company, so we have developers in different parts of the world, sales, marketing, services teams. And it feels like that's comfortable based on the employees, so despite the fact that employees are asking to come back to work, when the office is open and we have tools to measure employees coming back to work, it's still only 15 to 20% at this stage.
0: Okay. Bradley?
2: Interesting. We're, we're more like uh, 50 to 75% actually. And, and similar to Neil in terms of we're not saying you shall come back to the office at all. It's very much up to the individual to make their own choices. Um, but we're finding that people really do want to come back to the office, um, and I think you know people enjoy the the office environment that we've luckily got. We've got a quite an interesting building, and I think part of that, tried part of it, getting everybody back into the office is creating an environment that they want to come back to. And so, so we're finding it 50 to 75 um, without without pushing it.
0: No pushing. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie.
3: Is this on? Yeah. Um, So we're in quite a unique situation where our office has doubled in size over the pandemic, um, and we have outgrown our office space. So we're actually currently looking for new premises. Um, So we are at 100%. Bradley's
0: eyes have lit up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Not quite there yet. Um, And so we're we're looking for new premises um, in one of our buildings that we've just completed, actually, on Wood Street. And... um, we have two core days in the office, um, so we've had to split it up, um, because everybody wants to be there. Um, we're quite creative, collaborative. I'm from Maura and Lorraine Architects, so um, kind of face-to-face time is really important to us. And um, we, so we have a kind of uh, half studios in well, uh, two days, the other half's in the other day, and then it's kind of free for all on a Friday. Um, and that's working okay, but I think people want to see each other more. People want to be around uh, kind of social spaces um, and engage with other people in the office in a much more kind of consistent way. So. We are looking
4: for more space at the moment.
0: Uh, you will be swamped, Melanie.
4: <laughs> yeah, that, that's all interesting. I'd say probably we're 15 to 20%. Um, back in, we haven't prescribed. We've gone through various um, scenarios, really, of doing surveys to our to our staff and our people, asking them what they want to do. Uh, we did that before Omicron hit. Uh, we thought we were going to be getting everyone back in September. Um, when I say everyone, we were we were kind of aiming for two or three days a week, as not as a sort of prescriptive thing, but as a sort of moral pressure trying to encourage um, asking leaders to make sure they do that so that hopefully the the other staff would follow suit um, then Omicron hit and it was all just back to the drawing board effectively um, and then since Omicron we're starting to get back to that please could you come in two or three days a week I think London is a bit easier so it's interesting what you said there the regions are much harder um, what we're tending to find is especially in the professional services. I don't know whether whether you're affected by this, but um, the war for talent—it's just—it's—it's it's really tough. Um, we've lost a lot of loyalty because people have been at home; they don't have that team spirit. So there's so much move at the market; it's a real fight. So the last thing that we can do is—and I think all law firms will be in this situation—is start to prescribe. Um, because we've got to see what our competitors are doing. And if our competitors also are in the same boat, nobody wants to be pushing anyone out the door. So we've got to be understanding. Um, we also have another challenge, which is that we are a PLC. We are accountable to our shareholders. ESG is a very important part of our policy in our business. And we also can't be seen to be saying to people, come in, burn the fumes in your car, pay for car parking burn the fumes in the office and then go back home again we just can't do that so we're in this really quite a difficult balance of trying to get the right thing to have the morale in the team and support the juniors because they have to be around people to learn um, but also trying to do the right thing by climate change and the environment and the right thing to support people's mental health and their changed lifestyle structures that they've put those changes in while they've been at home. So it's actually, I don't I don't know whether this is the new normal. I don't know whether we're already there, um, or whether it's something that's just constantly evolving. I haven't quite worked out. I think we're in a weird stage of no man's land at the moment. We don't quite know whether this is it, or whether there's still some evolution to be done.
0: It's a complicated
4: equation. At. It's very complicated, they? and there's a lot of psychology involved.
0: And James?
5: Um, yeah, I th- I th- well, kind of s- similar to others, actually. I, um, I'd say the Ascensus office occupancy uh, varies from about 10% to 100%. Um, actually, Stephanie, not, not too unique, uh, not too different to you. We, in the last two years, uh, the occupancy of the uh, employees of the London office have also doubled. Um, and, and actually, you know, I only joined Ascensus a couple of months ago. And, you know, with a lot of new joiners, being in the office meeting people... Like that that that's what you want to be there for, right um, and it was kind of interesting. I joined and thought, oh there's a group of people who all know each other really well, but actually, having been at home all that time, um, that wasn't the case so so we we broadly have three days a week, but again, giving people the choice. I think we have developers who are, who are, um, uh, want to be in the office more. We have people out and about. Um, you know who 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 naturally are not in the off- office as as often, but we do try on a single day to have everybody there, which means it 's tight on the desks um, but um but a good place to meet people
0: and you know catch up gentle nudging or prescription to get people there on that single day
5: um i I think uh, it, I, I, somewhere in in the middle i think because i th- I think you know it's it 's important to set um I think boundaries, you know, give people some guidance, but I, I think what you don't want to do is have the stick and say you must come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that just doesn't, doesn't work. And that, that you know, again, the last couple of years, everybody has found this rhythm of, you know, working at different times perhaps and, you know, building, you know, the, I guess life and work have become more intertwined. So to suddenly unpick that could be, uh, you know, c- could be extremely detrimental and particularly in a world where there is a, you know, a huge war for talent. Right? Re- maintain and retain your... Uh, retain and attract new talent is, is, is the end game.
0: Okay, thank you. Right, a couple of questions for the audience. Who here is a, a tenant? I think everyone's hand should go up, shouldn't they? Leave your hand up and I won't ask you a question, don't worry, if you're a landlord. Bradley, you can leave. Anyone own space? Office space? Don't. There's a couple. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. And who in your offices? Who here is um, you know 50% of staff most days? For whom is that the case? There's just a couple in the office. Yeah. Okay, a few more, six or seven there, but still very much the minority. I mean, even this week, so much has changed, hasn't it? You know. The Office for National Statistics changed its inflation basket yesterday, taking away suits, replacing it with formal jackets rather than tracksuit bottoms, which was a bit of a surprise. If it is to re- reflect um, more working from home, and, but let's s- and sneakers, right? So. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and no donuts yeah. as well. Perhaps that's an office, um, an office thing too. But let, let's start to look at that direction of travel and where where it seems that we're going to um, end up. There was some data before Christmas, which and it's changed a little, but I think this is quite illustrative, which. Uh, Showed that um, office occupancy in the West End, I think it got up to about 40%. In the City of London, 20%. In Canary Wharf, 10%. So it seems to be linked to amenity as well, and what else you can do while you're there um, during that day. Uh, Neil, you first. When you see all of these things going around, where do you think we're going to be in one year, two years, five years, perhaps? Well,
1: I think the the big question initially today is when corporate occupiers are renewing their space, do they want as much space as they traditionally have had, number one and number two, are they looking for the same duration? And so across the board, globally, what we see right now, especially in office one, is that, that the amount of space being requested for renewals is coming down, and the duration in terms of, of the lease is coming down. And I think this is all part of the, let's say, a big social experiment in terms of how many people need to be in the office right? So that work balance between where will people work, is it at home, is, in a, is it in a, a, a spoke rather than that, that traditional hub, whether it's London or Paris or any other jurisdiction. And I think corporations and, and landlords, what we also see is that they want flexibility in terms of what to do with that space in this point of time of uncertainty in terms of what the requirements are going to be. So we fee- see flexibility as well as then focusing on the, the tenant, in terms of the employees of the tenant, to make sure that they have the right type of fit out, but it's still flexible, um, but is, there's, there's a nudge that you want to come back to the office for certain reasons, but we don't see it right now based on the data that we have on a global basis, returning to pre-pandemic levels.
0: Okay, and those sorts of um, figures, they sound roughly um, what you've been seeing as well, like what you've been seeing.
1: So on a global level, yes. I mean, I think the big uncertainty is in terms of if you look at any of the big corporate occupiers, whether it's in, in London or any of the other capital cities, is the amount of space that they're renewing, whether it's in Canary Wharf or other you know, large type of commercial areas, is coming down. And and so that's a big question mark for landlords in terms of how they manage that.
2: Interesting, I mean, we did some research last year asking about 125 central London occupiers what they thought would be happening during the course of 21 and then what they thought would happen over the next three years and the next five years. And not surprisingly, during 21, it was everybody, you know, the vast majority of people would be working from home. Then over the next three years, there was about 80% of them said there'll be a gradual shift going back to the office but actually still using the hybrid model as a way to maintain the office footprint. But then after five years, it was similar. There was like 80% saying, and throughout that whole time period, they, they all thought they'd be employing more people. And then after five years, they were saying they would break out of that sort of space mode and they would need more space. And they would all be back into the office. But, you know, Not all, but like 85% would be back in the office. But sure, still people making the most of hybrid working, working from home occasionally, which makes Eminent sense. I mean, I always think there's a, there is a tendency, I think, to, to knee-jerk reaction to these things, and it reminds me of, you know, for example, on this occasion, pandemic arrives, suddenly the office is dead, and that, in, in 21 there were lots of very serious players saying that the office was no more, there would be no need for an HQ. Uh, one year later, it's a different ballgame, and actually it reminds me of, like, you know, there is often this knee-jerk reaction. So the tragedy of 9/11. Tall buildings were dead. I can, mem- I can remember distinctly intelligent people saying, well, tall buildings, there will be no future for tall buildings because occupiers, plain and simple, won't go and occupy them. Absolute nonsense. Which buildings are commanding the highest rent, where's the most demand? It's in tall buildings. So I do think there is often this sort of knee-jerk reaction, which actually, when you really sit down and pan it out, it's, it's not quite as extreme as people think.
0: But that pendulum swings, doesn't it? And then it comes to settle some, and it, somewhere in the yes, middle. Yes, and it, and it could,
2: you know, obviously, I don't want to be complacent about it because you know, OMRICOM is, is, thank goodness, not as perhaps as, as lethal as, as some of the others. But if that was to morph into something more serious, then of course it would be another swing of the pendulum. But I think that, that direction of travel is what I'm saying. It's, it was interesting that, you know, as I say, the vast majority of these occupiers all saw a positive direction of travel.
1: Do you, do you see the occupiers still looking at the same type of density of where they have offices, or will it become more hub-and-spoke so that the, the yeah, principal so footprint will be smaller, the but there will be more... Fascinatingly, so want, because of the...
2: You'd think that the hub-and-spoke, that maybe that's a concept that would get taken up. So that was one of the questions that we specifically asked them, uh, dead in the water. Yeah.
4: I can agree with you there, actually, because from, from my perspective as, as a, a series of law firms in regional locations, but all city-based, for us, to, to be thinking about having that hub-and-spoke model, I just can't see that it would work, because it's better to have a city-centre base as a, client, you know, as a client place where you can do meetings... And it also draws a much wider variety from a larger area for people when they do come in two days a week. So actually, that's a much better advantage. Like, we're in the walkie-talkie. That's a great advantage, because you're pulling people in from Manchester, from Liverpool, from Leeds. People are getting together, they're talking... Why would you want to do some outer city location where they just might as well work from home? There's just no point to it. This is going to be it. tough
0: to wrestle this panel, isn't it? <laughs> <But> I <I'm, I'm laughs> like the fact that you're interviewing each other, but yeah. I do want to, br- want to bring in everyone. And if you've got any questions, uh, the side details on the screen, but I will uh, you've got used to raising your hand, so I'll come back to you at a moment. But gonna, Stephanie, you want to I'm going to jump
3: in. in. Um, I think I completely agree with both those points, and I think um, what's kind of happened out of the pandemic is people have really seen the value of the office and how great it is to have a destination, something that is a kind of physical manifestation of your company culture, your identity, you know, everything that you value about, you know, working together and being together. And I think there's real opportunities for the office to sort of you know, make the most of how much people enjoy seeing each other, talking together. And if you dilute it a little bit with the hub and spoke, then you You don't that. want
4: a sterile environment, well, and, do you? you know, and exactly. your building
2: says so much about your company and your brand.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: And, you know, I think companies have, have for, for a very long period of time, have been projecting their, their brand through their building. You know, the Chrysler building, and to, you know, an obvious example. But, you know, if it's an ESG-friendly building, that says a lot about your brand, doesn't it? Well, you've got to think
4: about the next generation and where they're going to want to work. And it's not just your employees, the next generation, saying, "I do not want to go to work in a dirty building. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with it." But it's also our clients are driving that change because our clients, when we're bidding, are asking us what our credentials are. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's all the way through the curve that that change is is happening.
5: James, can I just come back to the to the hub and spoke? I I 100% agree on you know the the hub element, and it's you know if you're going to be if you're competing. To pull people in on their commute, away from their their dog, breakfast with their children, whatever it might be, the office experience has to be great. Um, And that's a kind of, I think that is a key change. And lots of people have been doing a good job, others less so. Now it just has to be great always. I'm also not a fan of the the spoke element, but I do see a place for it, because not everybody can work from home. Right, and there are people who, you know, younger people who share flats, maybe they don't want to do that 40-minute commute, but can't really sit at home, don't have their resources, get the distraction. So there is, there is an interesting model in there, perhaps more kind of a, an aggregator model, perhaps kind of you're competing with the coffee shop, whatever it might be, but there's something...
4: There might be back office functions, actually, it, that could work. That the trouble is though, if
2: you're if you're a young person, how do you how do you learn? Where where well, who are your uh, role models? How do you gain experience by being stuck out in a And you spoke? do that you do that <laughs> in the hub though, right? Maybe that, something in the name of it, hub it, and spoke it, doesn't
5: sound great, does it? It's so the balance, I think. That's that's the point that's important. You you definitely you know, you it, you know, the whole kind of hybrid working concept is you go, you know, there's more of a balance between going into the office now because you want to collaborate, you want to learn, but there is a place where you know you can sit at home and get on with some work, do some emails, have some quiet time, and I think you you absolutely need that that main hub space, and it needs to be great to, to do all the things about learning, but that other space, those third spaces, I again, to be clear, I'm really not, like, I would never want to run a business trying to kind of cater for that third space, but but it is. I can see somewhere in the in the in this kind of experiment of the next couple of years. Maybe people that,
2: don't need an office to do that. Maybe they can do it from home, which is, goes back to the, the research piece that we're doing, where you know the, working from home is not going to just suddenly disappear. I think people will still do it, but not 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 as perhaps as intensely as we have been for the last sort of 18 months.
4: I think Isn't it's it also all? sorry a brilliant leveling. It's, it levels the playing field for people who are disabled who have other challenges about actually going to an office. The whole technology has been brilliant for that because, actually, you're working with people who don't even have a clue whether they've got disabilities or not. Not that it should matter, but for them, they now feel like it doesn't matter, which I think has been a really good thing, a really good thing.
0: Stephanie, the quality of space matters. We've, we've just touched on that, and your, your growth must must point to that. Is that what your clients are saying to you, that uh, we, we need a better office space to retain staff and yeah. to attract clients?
3: Absolutely. You don't, you you want to have the fear of missing out. You know you want to go to the office and feel like that's why we're oh. all here, isn't it? Exactly, <laughs> it's just like um, but uh, in an office environment, you want to make sure that you're there, you're in the office, you're at the centre of what's happening. You know you you kind of th- there's a variety of spaces so that you can do the things that you need to do. If you need quiet time and different people work in different ways, some people you know prefer to work kind of more. Focused, um, kind of small-scale work, isolated, and then come out and break out of that space and go into much more kind of collaborative, whether that's kind of kitchen area or meeting rooms, or you know, have the kind of diversity of those spaces. We're finding we're doing a lot more cat B fit-outs, so um, making kind of tailoring and designing spaces that's bespoke to specific clients, um, and also it's becoming much less office-looking and becoming much more kind of hotel lobby-looking. And actually, it's just it. It makes the space so much better. <laughs> and actually,
2: that sort of you know, interesting aspirational space, certainly from, a, from my experience in central London anyway, is that that is what the occupiers want, and they are prepared to pay for it. They're paying a premium rent for this sort of aspirational space because they know it's going to attract and hopefully retain the talent, which
0: is absolutely on everyone's we, lips.
4: Are they going for smaller but paying more for the fit-out? Uh,
0: Th- no. That's the segue I was looking for. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean they're actually well. I mean they're they're paying more to get the the base build. You know the building with the terraces, the building with the, you know the air conditioned staircases to encourage people to use them. The the real proper aspirational type space. They are paying more for it.
3: I would say not necessarily smaller. It's more spacious actually. It's it's less one in eight. It's more one in twelve, um, and it's just generally better better spaces.
0: So that really is the big question, isn't it? That when you have someone like HSBC saying we're going to reduce our global footprint by 40% or a Deloitte saying we'll be remote first forever, everyone's rivals have to follow um, quickly behind. And given that your physical footprint, apart from your staff, is probably the most expensive bill, you can't afford to run it as an experiment for very long and wonder whether people are going to come back 20%, 40%, Tuesdays, Thursdays of the time. And if people are looking for better space, you know, which it sounds like they are, they're going to be looking for less space now or in the future. Have you seen that come through yet, Bradley?
2: Genuinely not. Actually, I mean, if you look at you ex- some of the big—if you look at some of the big requirements in central London at the moment, um, most of those companies, the worst thing they can do is to take the minimum amount of space that they can have, um, and then realise by the time they fit it out, let's say it's in three years' time, they fit it out and they filled it up. Uh, they then have to break out of that envelope and go and take some space 500 meters down the road. Suddenly, you're in a split camp. That sort of mistake. So what we are seeing, though, I mean, most certainly, is flex. So people will have a core take, and then they're having, because they don't know exactly what what's going to happen in sort of five years' time, there's more flexibility being required. So put options, call options on additional space. We're seeing definitely that.
0: OK,
5: James. I'm just going to build on that i guess dusting off my old hat i used to work for um, british land and i ran uh, their flexible workspace business story and and we we definitely saw that uh, core flex um uh, uh, trend growing um a long lease customer taking you know the space they need in that time and yeah debatable whether it's kind of it's 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 a bit less but definitely high quality an absolute, uh, you know, of, uh, an absolute requirement was to have that kind of access to flex space in the in the building. Actually, having access to meeting and event space as well also really important. And then what we started to see is how you know it's less about just taking. I want this floor. I want two floors. It's I want this. I want an option to take some space in the flex. I want actually some meeting room credits embedded into the lease to be able to take this, and then that then meant they fitted their space out differently, no longer do you need a town hall space, perhaps you take a little bit less space as a result of that. And you can sort of see how you know, going forwards, it's less about I just want two floors, X thousand square feet, I want this package. And that gives you sort of flexibility and adaptability to grow and shrink in other ways.
1: James, do you see the landlord managing the flux space, or do you see a third-party operator manage it, and how does that fit
5: into terms of branding and experience? That's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, I, look, I, I think yeah, British Land, we, it, it was the landlord did, did all of it, but I, it, if, if I'm honest, I think it, it depends on the landlord, depends what their drivers are. I think sometimes that works really, really well. If they're highly operational, they can manage that full stack, it makes sense. But at the same time, there are many, many great partners out there to do flex these days. You bring those in and you can seamlessly embed them um, and it can work equally well.
3: I can answer that question as well, just in per kind of uh, personal experience. So the office that we're looking to move in, um, we did the reception fit out. It's an absolutely enormous reception we moved in. Um, but very uh, sparse. So we've uh, we installed lots of social amenity spaces. We had a bar. Um, there's kind of large curtains so you can section off for kind of private events. Um, there's lots of kind of amenity working which is all managed by the landlord. And actually, it's a real asset to the rest of the building. And actually, one of the main reasons we've taken that space. So even if we you know struggle for meeting spaces in our the new office, um, we'll be able to break out and use that kind of public amenity outside. And it just gives you that a little bit extra. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to mention was um, the way that we're designing our new office is really kind of movable partitions, really flexible, really adaptable, and it, it allows you to be very experimental then. You know, lots of storage walls, um, kind of different uh, kind of orientations for meeting rooms that you can open, you can close, um, and that just gives you that level of uncertainty, kind of gives confidence to that level of uncertainty that we've got at the moment about how people are gonna work.
0: Okay, do use Slido, but are there any questions out there before I, I move on? Raise your hand at any point, I'll, I'll find you. Um, Melanie, we, we're talking about the future of the office, but it's difficult to view it in absolute isolation because its impact on the city centre is pretty profound. You're on the, the Cold War bid, the board of the Colmore bid in Birmingham. What are the discussions like well, around that table? <laughs>
4: it's, it, it can be a really uncomfortable situation, especially during COVID because there I am as a partner in a law firm in the city centre where everybody's at home and nobody's going in and then I have to put another hat on. I'm a director of a business district, which is non-profit but paid for by the levy payers, in an area which is banging the city centre, with loads of restaurants and cafes who are on their knees because there's no footfall. So there's a real, it's a, it was, it was quite a difficult few months because you try, you know, you need to support one side of that community where the other side is just they're gone, um, and. We did all sorts of things. I mean, it it is still back to the whole thing that we were accelerating this anyway. COVID came along and we accelerated what was already an issue in lots of towns outside of London with high streets and everything else. Um, And this was an acceleration and and Birmingham city centre got to feel it. Even though they're a second city, they were feeling what lots of regional centres have been feeling before. Um, And there were lots of things that we did. I mean, really small things, which were just wonderful things. I mean, we put parklets up. I don't know whether it was who heard of parklets. But they were just, you know, we took out car parking spaces outside venues, we provided them, and there were green spaces that you could sit outside and have a drink just to encourage people in. And that's a symbiotic relationship with office space, because actually when we're talking about attracting people into an office that they want to be in, and giving them an office with some personality which isn't a sterile environment, because there is that challenge that we basically all picked our stuff up and went home in March, whenever it was, and then you go back in the office, and it's completely <clears throat> sterile. There's no photos art. There's no kids' drawings. You don't feel like you live there anymore. It's not home, you know. And it's just—it's quite. That was quite a difficult thing. But it's not just changing that environment. It's changing the environment outside to bring people in because they want to be in the city. So they're connected, actually. And, and that—and that just takes you into that whole community scenario. And when you're projecting forward in five or six years. We've talked for donkey's years, haven't we, about mixed spaces, urban planning, how you have to live and work and play all in the same area. And we really, you know, the, the lines have got to be blurred between our sort of traditional, this is office and this is retail and this is leisure. No, it's living, you know, it's, it's student, it's housing, it's accommodation, it's restaurants. It's, you know, that all of that's got to be blurred. And when you look at what's happening with some of our clients, you know, Homes England is a really good example. You know, that's, they're changing their approach. You know, they're on record as changing their approach. You've got the levelling up. You've got somebody who did some brilliant things at Argent, King's Cross, Brindley Place, and they are saying, well, actually, you know what? Yes, we are about housing, but, you know, you can't just have housing in isolation. It has to be all of those uses. So it's a really interesting time, actually.
0: And the policy framework needs to catch up, I presume. Always. Always the case. <laughs> and, uh, Neil, the UK, is it an outlier or is it typical of what you're seeing around in other... Um, major office markets around the world.
1: I would say it's similar in other major markets, whether it's Sydney or New York or Chicago, Frankfurt, et cetera. Of course, you know you have these little differences based on where uh, the pandemic has been and, and what the rules and the regulations are. But I think the real trial will be as over the next nine months, You know, what are the statistics looking at 2022? And then what are the renewals and how are corporate occupiers looking at the next uh, four or five years.
0: Okay, It would be good briefly just to paint a picture of the next few years if you can. Shorter leases, more dependency on data, perhaps a bigger, better or smaller, better footprint. Bradley, could you kick us off there?
2: I think think it does depend on the size of the occupier Um, because a smaller occupier could be a bit more nimble. Um, larger occupiers have to plan, so if they're doing an HQ move, they are literally six years in advance. So, it is slightly, it's a different uh, sort of um, expression, I guess. But I think I think most of these guys are all, they, they're all very much aware that, you know, it's, it's amenity, it's um, character, it's, it is the weight will be on creating an office, which is the sort of office, you can't force people to come back to the office but you can make an office very attractive to come back to. So um, I'm, I'm on the positive side of the fence, surprisingly. Uh, and uh, I think that people will come back to the office more than people think. I think the whole, the whole COVID uh, pandemic is definitely turbocharged changes which are already in coming. You know, the whole ESG agenda was around um, before 2020. Um, and I think it's really sort of turbocharged it and put it right at the top of the agenda, which is a a really good thing.
0: Great. Melanie? Well,
4: I think the whole energy crisis, I mean, we've got to bear that in mind. We've got to bear inflation costs because no matter how much we want to try and get back to normal, we are going to be pulled back by that all the time, and it's not just the costs of existing buildings. I mean, it's a burning platform with existing buildings, isn't it, with the MES regulations. I mean, you know, we're not talking many years before some of those will just be obsolete. You won't even be able to you won't be able to let them. So there, there is a massive amount of things going on in the background that we haven't even touched on. Plus there's even people's personal costs that you have to add into it. I mean, how much is the train fare gonna be? How much is it gonna cost to fill your car with petrol? If you wanna get an electric car, you won't even be able to charge it. So you know, there is a whole load of things that are going on in the background we haven't even touched on, which I think might just slow us down to getting back to where we think is what would be normal.
0: I saw the Prime Minister announce half-price public transport for the next two months. It was the New Zealand Prime Minister, sadly, but I got excited
4: there. Excited then? (laughs) Um,
5: I think I'd go back to a point that was that was mentioned earlier about the the you know the next few years offices are going to become more adaptable. You know, and because no one quite knows what to do now, whether that's a flex solution, whether that's kind of working within a long lease, but to have this, you know. to to look at the space, to learn something from it, collect some data maybe, apply that, iterate, do that, add on another kind of functionality, meeting rooms, whatever that might be, looking at that building as a full stack. That has absolutely got to be the future, and that has, I think, tremendous implications kind of operationally, I think technology kind of helps to underpin it, Um, and, and it, you know, we're kind of starting to, in the conversation that, that I'm having now in my, with, with the census is, you know, people are starting to think about how to take that portfolio view and and and, and execute on it operationally um, throughout.
1: Thank you. Um, I mean, I think much of it's already been said. I think that um, there there is no hourglass at this point in time that we could look at that says, this is how it's going to be. I think that you know, depending on the jurisdiction one's in, whether it's London or others, that costs continue to increase. The fight for talent means you do need better buildings, but at the same time, or better space, but at the same time, there's this affordability component in terms of what point are you in your life, and I think that will also then drive where you need to have an office and or dare I say it a spoke, to maybe in terms of further building up those, those parts of the organization. So I think it's a fascinating time. I think data is the underlying pin. Um, I think that overall real estate continues to be in whether one's trying to measure and, and report against ESG or GRESB or anything else and understand occupancy utilization of the building. Uh, there is just an increased investment in technology. And those who are not doing that are going to be um, handicapped based on understanding what their strategy should be, whether you're an occupier or
0: a landlord. Thank you. And Stephanie.
3: Yeah, I think they're all really great points, actually. Um, I just want to touch on something that uh, we've kind of loosely spoken about, which is well-being. And I think there's a real, um, you know, we've just come out of a pandemic. Everyone's been working from home. It's been quite traumatising in a lot of ways. And I think the office has a real place for uh, supporting their staff um, and really, you know, being that kind of yeah, a support network for for tenants and Um, You know, how your office is designed, how it works, how it brings people together, I think is going to be critical over the next kind of two to five years. Um, Yeah, and kind of attracting talent and bringing kind of everyone along on the same, on the same page. And then I'm also just going to touch on sustainability as well, because I think the office and real estate has a great opportunity to be really the forerunner for sustainability and what we can do and what we can achieve in the built environment kind of moving forward, you know you know, the built environment's got kind of 40% of the UK's carbon footprint, and so there's a long way to go on that, and I think uh, particularly kind of the office has a real opportunity to uh, kind of showcase, yeah, new innovations. That's what I want to see.
0: Okay, thank you. So the pendulum swung from gloom to doom, or gloom to cheer, perhaps, and it's settling some, somewhere in the middle. Uh, thank, thank you all for coming today, and please thank my co-chairs this morning.